Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today, I'm going to be talking about three habits to reduce religious trauma in your church. Now, I know this is an unusual topic for me, but I think it's super important But let me start by saying I am not an expert on religious trauma. What I'm sharing today is from my experience, from the experience of the many, many, many adoptive and foster and capital letter syndrome parents that I've spoken with over the years, and church leadership and organizations that I've worked with and volunteered with. So I'm just taking everything that I've learned And I'm going to make these suggestions, and I think that if you implement these habits in your church, you will reduce the religious trauma. So now when I think of religious trauma, I just think of it is trauma that happens within the church community. And I don't necessarily mean that somebody is chasing you around with an axe That is definitely very traumatic, but that's not what I'm talking about. The sorts of religious trauma that I'm referring to are often those little paper cuts that we have talked about on the podcast before that wound you and wound your child. Since this is trauma-informed parenting, I'm going to be talking about your children, obviously, but this may apply to you. And as you listen to the information, you may find yourself saying, oh my goodness, that was me, or that happened to me, or I did that. So keep that in mind too as you process this information. And you may want to listen to this podcast more than once and share it with the leadership of your church. Because obviously, we're trying to build communities in the church where we are accepting and loving and teaching the gospel and ultimately leading people to a relationship with Jesus. That's the goal, right? Our goal is not to chase people away or to make people feel unwelcome. And like I've said, we are not, I mean, no one, I don't think anyone is setting out to cause religious trauma in their churches. I just, I don't think that. But I think these are things that maybe you haven't thought about before, 
or maybe you're just on the edge or your church is on the verge of beginning to see these things. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so I'm going to get started on these habits. So if you are in leadership, you're maybe you're a Sunday school teacher or you lead children's church or any service area of the church whatsoever, these are important to consider. So number 1, Think of your church as a hospital instead of a perfectionist factory. Now that might sound a little harsh, so let me explain. When it comes to church rules, practices, and rituals, there are a lot of expectations for anyone. And it's a lot of pressure for people who have attended the same church for their entire life even. But it's even more pressure for a child or an adult who has never attended church. And let me give you an example. If you are a regular church attender, but you go to a different church to visit, like maybe you're visiting relatives and you go to this new church, you don't know when to sit, you don't know when to stand, you don't know when to sing, you don't know what the words are to the songs, and it is very unnerving to feel like you don't know what's going on and you don't know what's appropriate and you don't know if you're supposed to kneel or if you're supposed to stand. Think of a child who is going to church for the first time. Like when my newbies came home, in air quotes, from Poland and we started attending church again because we gave them a little bit of time just to incubate at home with us Church was very overwhelming for them because the whole idea of standing up for worship or they, and some of them at that time could not handle going to kids' church at all. It was too overwhelming, but knowing when to sit, knowing when to stand, knowing when to sing, and knowing what is socially acceptable in church, that's like a whole new ball game. And because this is trauma-informed parenting, I'm going to focus more, like I said, on looking through the lens of a child. So let's imagine a child comes through the door of your church carrying a heavy load of trauma, emotional wounds, and the inability to regulate. Maybe this child also has sensory issues. Not only are the lights and sounds overwhelming, But the adults are loud and getting in the child's face. You know, how are you? So glad you're here. You know, those kinds of things can be overstimulating. Because he can't control his wiggly body and he's operating in his downstairs brain where fight, flight, fawn, or freeze, he may be corrected over and over and over again. We've all seen that happen, or maybe your child was the one who was being berated over and over again, raising my hand here, because the child had to fidget, had to have a toy in their pocket, couldn't manage to sit still for more than two seconds, wanted to jump up, run, walk around. All of those things are areas that we need to consider What's the need behind that behavior? What's really going on? And sometimes, unfortunately, in our religious way, 
we think that those sorts of thinking about how trauma affects a child and what is the need behind the behavior and dysregulation should just be left at the church door because once you enter the church, it's holy and everybody should be quiet and everybody should sit still and everybody should be able to regulate. And that is just not true. And I don't think that that's what Jesus would say. Because Jesus said, Let the little children come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus got children. He understood children. He didn't say, Oh my goodness, get these kids away from me and get me some quiet and let me just be holy all by myself. No. And we need, to, we need to keep that in mind when we are considering how we conduct a service and how we treat the children that come in that doors. Because every child that comes through our church doors through adoption or foster care or has a capital letter syndrome, they have a history And not only do they have a history, but they have a lens in which they see the world through that we need to comprehend and understand. Because what happens with this constant berating, what happens with a constant correction, or maybe being kicked out of children's church over and over, it is those little T-traumas, it's those little paper cuts over and over for that child saying, you know what, you're not good enough to be here. You can't behave well enough to be here. You shouldn't be here. So then mom and dad start wondering, you know, you know, my child's getting kicked out of kids' church every week. They can't regulate. Something's wrong. It must be us. Let's just not go to church. Is it even worth it to go to church? And believe me, I've heard stories from foster and adoptive parents that I've worked with that they just stopped going to church because of that. They just, and they stopped sending, first they stopped sending their kids to kids' church, if your church has that, and then they stopped going to church altogether because it's not worth it. So what do I mean by hospital? Because I said that, you know, that your church should be like a hospital. So imagine this example. This was given in the Empowered to Connect training that I went through. A child in a wheelchair enters the church. So what happens? Every accommodation is made for her and should be to participate in the service. Or a hearing impaired kiddo joins the congregation. We make sure that we have someone proficient in sign language to interpret the service, right? And those practices should be in play. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. But what about the child with a trauma history whose five Bs are affected? The brain, the biology, body, beliefs, and behavior. What about the child with extreme sensory issues, a capital letter syndrome such as ADHD, FASD, SPD, GAD, ASD, etc.? What accommodations are being made for these kiddos? What sort of treatments are we prescribing for these kiddos so that they feel loved, accepted, welcomed, honored, valued? Okay, so full disclosure. I'm going to share a little bit about myself because I always do. I'm autistic. I'm self-diagnosed. I've never had an official diagnosis, but I know I am. 
When my trauma bucket is full to overflowing, meaning a combination of triggers, sensory input, peopling, and trying my best to interpret social signals and be able to regulate at the same time, my trauma bucket just overflows. I can't anymore. In capital letters, I can't anymore. Not I won't. I can't. Now, do I fall down on the floor and have a fit? No. (laughs) But what is the best prescription for me? A quiet environment in which to recover, which sometimes means, for me personally, skipping out on the final five minutes of church before the socializing begins. Before all the people come up, you know, how are you doing? And you know those. And I love those people. They're very well-meaning. I love having social interactions. But when my trauma bucket is full, when I am sensory overload, I cannot handle it anymore. I need to recover. So that's what happens with these kiddos. They need time to recover. And... We need to make sure that we're providing that. I'm going to get into a little bit more of that in a minute, but I'll also share about my kiddos because they've given me permission to share certain parts of their lives. Many of my kiddos suffered continued correction and berating because they couldn't regulate in church, read social cues, know the text of morality spoken or have the ability to live it out. Now, that's a really important one for kids with trauma histories. You know, maybe they had to do some really immoral things to survive in their life. So when they come in the church doors, what they have set as their beliefs, which is one of the things affected by trauma, is it might be okay to steal. It's okay to steal. It's okay to lie. Make sure that you get food. Make sure that your needs are met any way that they can be. So when we have this expectation that these kiddos come in the church and it's like all of a sudden they're cloaked in morality. They understand the scripture. They understand what we believe. They know how to behave. They know what we expect of them. That's just not true especially if you are welcoming some kiddos into the church who have had huge, extensive trauma in their history, and then suddenly they come to church and they still have their old belief system in place, they are going to live by that old set of beliefs until they are proved wrong. And we can't prove them wrong if we're constantly correcting and berating and telling them, that they don't know how to behave, and that they are—they get that sense that you know you really don't want me here. Kids can feel that, and I'm not going to share all of their stories. I have a lot more stories, but I'm just giving you a little gist of what they went through. So let me just say, some of them are still healing from the religious trauma they suffered because there was no prescriptive treatment for kiddos who had capital letter syndromes and trauma histories because they could not behave. They were labeled the bad kids. Now, I will say that things are changing, and I am glad that things are changing. But if things are not changing in your church, in your church body, then 
it's time to discuss what I'm talking about. Implementing some new habits and some new strategies for your church body to make these kiddos feel loved and welcome. So number two, make your church family-centered and not adult-centered. There's just kind of this unwritten expectation that church is a serious business for adults and kiddos should participate without interrupting and have the same attention span as adults. It's as if the church services are above their intelligence level, which is honestly a disservice to children. Of course, some kiddos aren't going to understand deep theological subjects at three years old, but you would be surprised at how much they absorb. I'm not saying that your church services need to be balloons and cotton candy, but when you don't include the kiddos in worship, but instead constantly correct and berate them for wiggling, being tired, hungry, thirsty, or talking, then you aren't ministering to the future adults of your congregation. They are more likely to go find love and acceptance somewhere else. So how can you make your church family-friendly? Now, this is obviously different for every church body, and it's something that you would need to discuss among yourselves, but I will just share some examples. One of the practices that my local pastor has included is the kids stay for worship, and then he calls a kiddo forward, which is pre their pre-coach. They know they're going to get called forward, and they do an object lesson together. And another great idea, this is one of the things I used to do for my kiddos, is having note sheets that I would print up with coloring sections, doodling sections, a place for the main point, depending on the age. And I love doodling during church. I'm a huge note taker, but I also doodle. For some reason, doodling helps me focus on what the pastor is saying and absorb the information, maybe because my head's down and I'm just listening. So, you know, those things are great. You institute a note sheet for the kiddos. And I don't think all the events should be adult-centered as well. Well, I think it is super important to equip the church body by providing things like marriage conferences and trainings, like trauma-informed training. I think it's important to host family-friendly events that make accommodations for the kiddos. Oh my goodness, that is so important. I remember there was like a flip, a switch, not a flip, a switch that was flipped after we adopted four kiddos to add to our three bios. Suddenly it was like, you're not bringing your kids, are you? Or are you going to come to this? But this is only for the adults. We really don't want any kids there. And that is just, yes, obviously you don't want your kid in the middle of a marriage conference. But you should plan family-friendly, fun events. And I know a lot of churches are really getting on board and doing this and welcoming the community in. And I think that is amazing and it is wonderful. And I applaud you if you're doing that. But if you're not doing that and you're still stuck in the children should be seen and not heard or not even seen, then maybe consider this. Um, I used to run an adoption support group at the church 
that we attended before we moved a couple years ago, three years ago. And one of the things that we did, we did a lot of family-friendly things. One of them, we did like a spring fun day. And my daughter, who was majoring in child development at the time in college, she brought in all these things and we did with the kids, the big parachutes and all of these games and the parents and the kids participated together. And that is super, super important for the parents and the kids to be doing something together, connecting and fun within the church, because that gives these kiddos a whole new perspective about church and love and connection and acceptance and fun all together. Also, moving on so I don't run out of time, arrange the environment to suit your congregation. While I'm not here to reinvent the wheel, there's a lot of latitude in the way that we can arrange the environment in our churches. We can have away rooms, which many churches do for nursing mothers, but also for kids who can't regulate, where there can be a few toys and a screen for them to watch the service. And I know I'm just going to applaud all the churches that are doing this already. This is extremely important to have this environment for these kiddos and not when they're leaving, like you can't regulate, it's you're too overwhelmed, you're overstimulated, not you're bad, but let's go to a quiet place so you can feel better. So you can feel better. Because some kids are just, it's constantly sensory overwhelm within a church. Because our modern churches, with the loud worship and the lights and the um, puppets and everything that we're doing to include these kids, for some of these kids, it's just too much. And I I think this is an awesome thing, too. I was doing some research on this, and I knew this already, but I wanted to make sure that I was researching it. Many churches have a special needs ministry coordinator. Yeah, for all the kiddos with capital letter syndromes to make sure that the needs of the entire congregation are met. I think that's amazing. Of course, small churches may not have the budget for such a person. So what can you do instead? You can invest in some trauma-informed training for your staff. And one of the resources that I offer, I created for my former kids' church leaders, the Instead of Tips, which is eight Instead of Tips that are very concise. It's on an infographic that you can use instead of the traditional way that we approach parenting or teaching or leading. And what they did was they printed a bunch of them and handed them out to every volunteer who was working with the kiddos, and then they posted it so people could refer to it, and I will link that in the show notes so you can find that. So you grab a copy, and you go over it in a meeting, and you keep that infographic somewhere where everyone can see it and remind volunteers of how you're going to approach these kiddos so that they feel loved. And yes, that does mean you have a way to correct them, but you also have a way to connect and get back. You correct and you get back to connection. All right, this is my final one, number three. And this one is a little bit different than the other two, but I think it's very important. 
require background checks for anyone working with kiddos. Within the church, we need to expose sexual sin, not cover it. With pornography on the rise, grooming being blatantly practiced, familial trafficking happening in our neighborhoods, we entered the church building as adults expecting safety, like our kids are safe here, we want our kids to be safe here, and I know a lot of churches already practice doing the background checks, making sure that everybody is cleared of that before they work with children, and I am so glad. But when we enter that church building expecting safety, unfortunately, that's not always the case. So let me, let me just make this little point. Why do pastors do sermons on addictions? Because Christians still struggle with addictions. While we pray for revival, which we really want our you know, revival in our own hearts, we can't pretend that sin isn't real. And it has deep generational and cultural roots. So something that you think is sin may be generational in somebody else's life to the point that they believe that it is okay. All right? So we have to consider that. Not everybody thinks the same way we do. Not everybody approaches church the same way we do or enters the church with the same expectation. So that leads me to my next point, which I hate to say, but it is true. Some people enter churches just to groom children. If you want to know more about grooming, make sure you get Diane Tarantini's book, The Brave Knight. And also, I spoke, Diane and I talked about this before on one of our episodes about the body safety rule, the bathing suit rule. And I will link that in the show notes if you want to get a copy of that. Anyway, there, I said it. Some people enter the church just to groom kids. If you don't think this is true, ask about six friends or extended family members to share a story that they have lived or experienced or heard about in the church body. Here's mine. My extremely talented niece was groomed by a worship leader and came very, extremely close to being trafficked, and we would have never seen her again. And I talk about that on another podcast episode that I did on human trafficking, and I will link that in the show notes. So I don't want to get into that deep grass right there, the weeds of that While I'll be the first to say most people in the church body are not traffickers or pedophiles, I'm not on a witch hunt here, but we cannot be ignorant to the fact that they exist. Just remember this. Satan entered the garden to tempt Eve. So here were Adam and Eve. They were, you know, in communion with God in the garden. They're living in this perfect place. And Satan came into the garden. He didn't yell from outside the fence. So people who are intent on harming and causing trauma in our churches by grooming children and and those sorts of things, they're not just going to yell from the front door. They're going to come in. 
So we need to be aware of that. Like I said, don't go on a witch hunt. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Um, I'm saying that we need to be aware about that. And here is my bonus ending point here since I am really out of time. It's very important for you and your church body, your leadership, everyone to get together and talk about the cultural issues, the geographical cultural issues. Like I said, this is a bonus point, but it's so important. As I said earlier, we can walk through the church doors and think of it as a safe haven from the world. On one hand, we can't be ignorant of what is being brought inside the church doors through us or others. By that, I mean we don't leave our cultural issues at the door. We need to be wise as serpents and know what they are. I can't tell you what yours are. But it's important to do the research for your area and be prepared for those issues coming into your church Be prepared to minister to the people who are affected by those issues coming into your church. So here's an example. The area that I lived in three years ago had over 50% of infants born exposed to drugs and alcohol in utero. My current geographical location, there is a huge number of kinship parenting scenarios And thank God for those family members stepping in to parent. But we must remember, they have huge challenges and we must meet their specific needs. Maybe by starting a support group and understanding that the children may have some of those things affected by trauma, the brain, the biology, the beliefs, the behavior, and be compassionate and understanding and using something like the instead of tips across the board so that everybody's on the same page and helping these kiddos feel loved and welcome. Well, I don't have the time to explore all of the issues that face you in your geographical area. It's important for you to do so if you're in leadership in any way, which includes any service in the church whatsoever. So I am going to wrap this up. I know this is a heavy topic, and like I said, this might be one that you need to listen to more than once and really think about it. You might get mad at me at first, but if you get angry, that also might be a sign that it's something you need to think about and deal with and, you know, maybe reform some new, reframe your beliefs on this. And also, this might be a great one to share with the leadership in your church and say, hey, you know, I'm really concerned about some of these kiddos that are coming into the church. I don't think we're ministering to them the way they need ministered to. Could you listen to this podcast and tell me what you think? So I'll just review really quick. Think of your church as a hospital instead of a perfectionist factory. In other words, don't expect everybody to behave perfectly or understand your morality, your theology, when to sit, when to stand, not to wiggle, all of those sorts of things. Those are huge pressure for even for adults. And then second, we need to make our churches family-centered, not adult-centered. And like I said, as a reminder, that doesn't mean you don't have a marriage seminar. But what that does mean is you also put equal emphasis 
on family-oriented things where the kids are welcomed. They play games with their parents, with the adults, not with the adults sitting on the sidelines, but really participating for that connection so that they feel loved and validated. And they feel like, you know what, church is a fun place to go. And number three, require background checks for anyone working with kiddos. And that one is extremely important. And the bonus point, talk about the cultural issues. Research them in your area. Find out what they are. Remember that they are coming into your church. We don't just discard everything that we're going through when we enter the church building. And make sure that we are ministering to those specific cultural issues and helping each other and our kiddos in those. So thanks for listening to this. I know this is a hard topic to go over, and you may have been listening to the Trauma-Informed Parenting Podcast for a while and say, oh my gosh, she's really throwing me for a loop with this one. I didn't expect this one. Well, I didn't either, but God has really put this on my heart, and He's like, you need to talk about this. So I'm talking about it. So thanks for joining me today, and I will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on TraumaInformedParenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.